Long before Prince made the color famous with his album Purple Rain, kings were wearing this royal hue. A new finding shows us just how far back the purple robes of royalty go. Did King David rule Israel clothed in purple? Archaeologists have found another piece to the ancient Near East puzzle. David, who ruled around 1000 BC, and Solomon are described as wearing purple, the color of royalty and wealth, since it was so difficult to make. Deep in southern Palestine, some purple cloth has been found. Even better, it dates back to 1000 BC. Perhaps these are just a few threads from King David's royal robes, or Solomon's, Archaeologist Erez Ben Yosef says, at the very least, this is evidence of a very sophisticated society in the ancient world. The disciples knew about royal clothing. Easter Sunday, Christ's burial garments are forever a testimony to his eternal reign. One day, though, he'll clothe us in the royal robes of his resurrection. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus And we're in a series that we started yesterday called Worshiping with the Early Church. Today, we're looking at the ancient Christian hymnal called the Odes. Ever wondered what those early Christians were singing? We have a sense from these fragments of hymns in the New Testament, but we also have the Odes that up until the last few years, 2,000 years later, had not been set to music. The Odes, a collection of hymns that early church historians recognize as the music used to give glory to God by singing by his church in the first and second centuries. Yesterday, we spoke with Professor James Charlesworth at Princeton. He translated the Odes into English. He believes the writer was a Jew who had become a Christian and was familiar with both Jewish and Christian scripture. Paul and the early followers of Jesus stressed that when they came together, they composed new hymns, they chanted old hymns, and they praised God. What we need to recover is the joy and the celebration. Imagine a Jew waiting and waiting and burying his grandfather, then his father, and the last thing the father and the grandfather says is, keep waiting, he will come. Now, he has come. The author of the Odes of Solomon is thrilled. He's defined by joy. My joy is full and complete. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I would that my joy would be fulfilled in you. Jesus did not have joy in this world. He had a suffering life and he ended up screaming on the cross. But the Odes pick up the Joannine stress and Jesus' comment that we must have joy. What we need now in our churches is this joy and this excitement that God is the creating creator and didn't just create the world and leave it, but he is alive and creating ever new each day. Each day is a new creation. Each day has never existed before. So God is creating and we need to be involved in that joyous celebration of what God is doing in us and for us.
listening to music from the Odes underneath Professor James Charlesworth at Princeton. Wouldn't it be amazing to turn back time, to be part of the early church of Jesus Christ, to listen and even join in with the music that they were using to worship their Lord and Savior? Well, you can. You can listen to some of the same music that people sang who knew Jesus face to face. And that's because of the discovery of the earliest Christian hymns, dating back to the very first century. This transcends the generation of Christianity. The music of what's called the Odes, or the Odes of Solomon, is unique, and it touches the heart in a special way. I'd like you to get in touch with us after the program. I'd like you to get a copy of the Odes Project as my way of saying thank you. For your gift to Haven Today, a listener-supported ministry. So why don't you just give us a call after the program at 800-654-2836. That's 800-65-HAVEN. I would ask that you be as generous as you possibly can, but be sure and ask for a copy of the CD called The Odes Project that we've released along with Worship Leader Magazine. Or you can visit our website, And I would encourage you to do that. We've got a scholarly article talking about the odes. We have video with some of the experts that we had on the program yesterday, and you'll hear again today. And then you can make your gift to the ministry, but be sure and ask for your copy of the Odes Project when you visit us at haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. Now, as we open the program, I'd like to share some good news. Last week, I invited listeners to become a missionary to Cuba. We can't be there right now because of the pandemic. In-country events are on hold until probably next year. But our Spanish broadcast still beams across the entire island every day. And we had a challenge match of $60,000. The good news? We've made the match. As of yesterday, we raised $62,492. I just wanted to say thank you in the name of Jesus. Now, before we hear another song from the Odes, I want you to listen to a conversation I had with the composer and producer of the project, John Schreiner. I asked him about his favorite song from the album. It's called Ode Number 5. And it's not just because my wife sang it on the CD, but <laughs> but it's also it also has to do with how we respond to evil. And the early church was having such a rough time in terms of being surrounded and hunted down by enemies. Yet in the Odes, which is, these are the the songs that the early church was singing, there's scarcely any mention of specific evil. They would just say, hide me from my enemies, um, keep me from my oppressors, don't let them see me, make them, um, make them blind so they don't see me. And that's about as, as specific as it gets. It's almost like they weren't that worried. Right. They knew they just needed to keep their focus going to the Lord. So there's a line in this Ode 5, I shall stand, that says, Though all things visible shall perish, I shall stand, because the Lord is with me. Mm-hmm. So even even if everything goes away, I'm I'm fine, because I'm held by the hand, the right hand of my Redeemer. And that's what standing means in a biblical oh, context. Yeah, it is just... It is just, it's it's so beautiful and and so generous in what they were for rather than what they were against. They were just for being, taking in and meditating and singing on um, the great truths of being found and nurtured and loved and made righteous by God. And 
and belonging to God, being joined to God, that they had no time for the uh, focusing on the enemy and, and the, mm. the problems of the day. And their problems were certainly more severe than what we face here. I shall stand here in this haven today. And a thanks to John Schreiner, who set the lyrics to music for the first time in 2,000 years. John will join us again in just a moment. But first, I want to go to a conversation that I had with the late Dr. Hughes Oliphant Old, outside Philadelphia, on the way to Trenton, along the Delaware River. He was considered by many to be the greatest living scholar in the history of worship in the Christian church. I asked him, in his home, do you think the odes have a place for worship in the Christian church today? As I see it, all these things that connect us with the history of God's people have great value. It's important for us to be able to sing the hymns that Martin Luther and some of the re- other reformers wrote. The same way with the hymns of Isaac Watts, the same way with the hymns of the Moravians, there are all these wonderful historical confirmations of our faith. Mm-hmm. It was a tremendous affirmation of faith, the fact that all these things add their witness you know, there, there isn't any other organization that has the continuity 
that the Christian faith does. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this is something that we cherish mm-hmm. and are strengthened by. Dr. Hughes Oliphant Old, scholar on the history of worship in the Church of Jesus Christ. Back to Southern California, the composer, John Schreiner. John, you actually went to Princeton and spent a lot of time with Hughes Oliphant Old and also Professor James Charlesworth, trying to understand what type of music would faithfully convey the spirit of the words. Well, I was pretty intimidated by it. I I spent most of my time not so much working on the music as I did just studying the words and trying to get um, a better sense of what was being said in the in in the odes. So that that helped. Doctor uh, Old Hughes Oliphant Old was just a huge help, kind of enlightening me to the the message and also the forms of early Christian worship. Just what would happen when they would get together and things that they would. Uh, celebrate and say. In a sense, this was a spiritual journey for you back in time, wasn't it? Not just into the future. Absolutely. And and um, what I learned from Scotty Olds was um, was really the uh, really influenced me as far as the way I looked at the odes, noticing more profoundly the sense of being united with the Messiah and being joined together with God that God would really dwell in our hearts by his Spirit. And there's a sense of peace that pervades the odes, and and that is because ode after ode keeps saying that God has formed us, he has joined himself to us, he has clothed us in righteousness, joy, and love, mm. and he is with us, He's he's planted us in his garden, he's taken care of us, and we don't need to fear. So it was very uplifting. That's certainly a message for today, isn't it, John? Oh, oh boy. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about you took one of the odes and you featured paradise. Well, the odes are very much um, communicating the idea that eternal life has begun already Mm -hmm. when we come to Christ. We've entered into eternal life. And so... In some ways, it's it's restoring what has been broken now, and and seeing in advance the renewal of of, of all creation when it, when the Son of Man's put everything under His feet. So there's many themes in the odes, like the like the being planted in the garden, which reflects um, Old Testament mm-hmm. um, writings and. All the way back to Genesis, yeah, know, or, or other spots too, like Ezekiel, or yeah, a lot of other places. The words are so beautiful, saying, "My heart was pruned, and its flower appeared, and then grace sprang up in it, and it produced fruits for the Lord." He uncovered my inward being towards Him, and He filled me with His love. Hmm. It just talks about being planted in the garden, and one of my favorite lines, which I had repeated over and over at the end, was, "And the Lord is the sun upon the face of the land." And I become the land that blossoms and rejoices in his light. He took me to his paradise Where I beheld these trees Whose branches were sprouting and full of fruits And immortal Oh, 
use the words, but we don't use the words together in the church today like the church was using in the first century. That, yeah, it really threw me. Well, um, reading some of these things, I didn't know what to make of them at first. Some of the, mm-hmm. some of the imagery, like um, Ode 37 says, I prayed with the voice of my heart, and he heard me. And I think, how many times have I prayed where I don't know the words to say, and then the words I choose just seem so small compared to the way I feel? I think, well, God knows the voice of our heart when we're unable to utter the right expressions of what we're going through. Mm. It's terrific for me just um, going through this and, and gleaning some of this imagery and being able to experience it. I stretched out my hands to my Lord and to my God I raised my voice and I prayed John Schreiner, one of my favorites, I'm putting on the love of the Lord. That's one of those things we don't think of it that way. We don't pray that way and we don't sing that way. But you're leading us back to what Christians were singing 2,000 years ago. Uh, Tell me a little bit about writing that song. Well, I thought it was so important, being uh, not a stranger to the beloved, like these ideas um, that... God has found me, and he doesn't, when I come before him, he doesn't treat me as a stranger, but he He has um, put his love on me. He has clothed me in love, and I'm to get up and to put that love on, and because I'm enjoined with him, undivided from him, I'm supposed to be undivided from my other brothers and sisters in the faith. I thought, well, this is this is one that better be put into something that's singable, that makes sense with the words. So I worked really hard to make it so it could kind of repeat line one line at a time that people could sing back and forth to each other. And in fact, at, at the church I go to, we sing this. The kids come up at the end of the service, and we sing, I'm putting on the love of, of the Lord at the end of every service to each other. And mm-hmm. it's, it's really, enc- really it's like encouraging. A yes. Yeah. 
which is how the ode might have been used. You're right, exactly. I'm putting on the love of the Lord. I'm putting on the love of the Lord. And I will be no stranger. never thought that I would be able to worship with the early church until I heard about the odes. Ode number three, I'm putting on the love of the Lord. What an amazing experience we've just had. Hearing words that those who knew Jesus face to face would have sung, praising God. And thanks to the recent discovery of the earliest Christian hymns, the odes, dating back to the first century, it's possible. And we did it today. Doesn't that kind of give you goosebumps? I want to send you a copy of the CD, The Odes Project, as my way of saying thank you for your much-needed gift to Haven today. Why don't you just give us a call right now? Or please, go to our website and watch the video we have there about The Odes, where they came from, how we know these are the earliest hymns that the Christian church sang outside of the Bible. And then you can make your gift to this listener-supported ministry. But be sure and ask for your copy of The Odes Project. Our web address is haventoday.org, haventoday.org. Or give us a call at 800-654-2836, 800-654-2836. I'm Charles Morris. Thank you so much for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow? When again, we'll be sharing the great story together, the story that's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. How often have you said it? There aren't enough hours in the day. With so much to accomplish, time seems always against us. But not if we humble ourselves before the Lord. Ecclesiastes 3.1, there is a time for everything. The Lord says which activities are appropriate and when. It's our job to do it all for Him. That's what wisdom looks like. Paul says in Ephesians to walk in wisdom and so redeem the time because the days are evil. Whatever's on your to-do list today, give it to Jesus. At just the right time, He came to save sinners. And when the time is right, He'll come again. In the meantime, live it all for His glory. Spend more time with Jesus with Anchor Devotional. Visit 
getanchor.com.